China is becoming more expensive, but it's honoring its rules and its laws and its promises less at the corporate level all the way up to the governmental level, which is causing people to not want to manufacture there. The similarity between Japan and China at this point is there was this massive influx of money, and a big chunk of that money was invested in real estate that really didn't have any capability of producing more stuff. So China's economy, and I've seen different numbers on this, is anywhere from 20 to 40% wrapped up in its real estate market. 20 to 40% of its growth every year is its real estate, not its exports, not what's going on in the rest of the world. And that looks very similar to Japan right before it had a decade of moving backward and staggering slowly forward. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we come to you bald. Yes, yes, we are bald. And bearded. So we're not bald-faced. Not at all. So you won't find us ever doing bald-faced lies or truths because we have beards. We do have bald heads. So that's a different, we could have a bald-headed truth. That, there we are. Uh, we also like really bad puns, if you hadn't picked up on that. So those are our first two major disclosures of the day. This is the Personal Wealth Coach, a, a program on finance, the economy, personal investments, and impersonal investments. Um, was an impersonal investment. One that's not yours, I guess, or mine, uh, or, or rude. A rude investment might be impersonal. Yeah. Uh, we also have some other disclosures to give before we actually get into the meat of this program. Unless you're a vegan, and then it's almost meat of the program. We're getting into the vegetables of the program. Yes, right. So the potatoes, good vegetable there. Wait, no, that's, wait, it is, but it is, wait, is that a vegetable or a carb? It's a vegetable carb. Yes, very difficult. Uh how we separate things into all vegetables are good and wait, this is the wrong subject. Are we on the wrong program? But let's get off of nutrition for a moment and on back on to disclosures. Sorry about that. We took a wrong turn back in Albuquerque. First, it is July 1st. It is the beginning of the second half of 2023. Uh, yes. Welcome to the second half. The halftime show is us. So I guess. Uh, we are going to disclose, which in other halftime shows are called um, wardrobe malfunctions. Disclosure beginning. Oh, put that back on. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, yes, I've dated myself there. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, which, not coincidentally, is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The two guys talking to you are the principals of that firm. That's also not coincidental. The program, the name of the program, the program itself predates the firm by a pretty good amount of time. Uh, so we've been talking about this a long time. And then we started a company to give fiduciary investment advice. What does that mean? Well, it means advice in the best interest of the client, which by definition, we can't give on the air because we don't know you. Or maybe we do, but we don't know that other person over there. And if we did, it wouldn't be private for us to talk to you and them at the same time. So you can see there's issues. Uh, we have many issues. This is, we, we have so many issues. We have back issues of issues. Uh, 
So we can't give advice on the air. We have to give education on the air, which is close to the same thing. It gives you the rules and the tools to do what you should be doing, why we give advice when we give advice. Um, and just because the firm is registered with the SEC, that isn't kind a laurel, an achievement, or anything that we plaster around saying, look at what we have done. It is a requirement for us to tell you that, and it does not imply in any way, shape, form, or uh, conceptual fashion that the SEC somehow favors us. They don't favor. They disfavor. That is their professional responsibility is to go around disfavoring people. So we have to tell you that as well. Um, we don't pay for this program. We are not paid for this program. We have prof been professionally unemployed doing this program for 25 years now for me and 26 for the older baldy older baldy by the way jeff is younger baldy jake's dad and the reverse is similar older baldy's son is not his dad so i'm my own grandpa right he's he is his own grandpa and if you catch that then you have a smile on your face at the moment um and then the very last but the not the least in any way shape form or fashion disclosure is this one for you sir okay the information that we present on this educational radio and internet program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or in, and or completeness of said information. We do, however, warranty, guarantee, and make certain that all incomplete information that is delivered is incomplete. There, properly warranted, signed um, on the internet and in radio form, in audible form only. <clears throat> all right. Which is legal, by the way. Just, just as you I mean, you can get a verbal authorization from a scamming telemarketer. So I guess we just signed a contract. We will endeavor to only give incomplete information that is truly incomplete. Thank you. Oh, boy. We have, as is tradition, we will begin the, the program talking about a question from Inquisitor John. Inquisitor hey. John uh, is our most loyal uh, questioner. He questions us on everything. His question is, any similarities between the current China economy and Japan's lost decade? And he's got a picture of an article headlined in the Wall Street Journal, China cuts more rates on loans in bid to aid moribund recovery. First, I must compliment the Wall Street Journal on the use of the word moribund, which literally means tied to death. <laughs> You think about that for a second, or promised to death in a more uh, modern setting, because the Bund in uh, in Germany is the bond, which means a promise to pay. And Mori, it's just a great name for death. It's a great Latin word for tied to death. So China cuts more rates on loans in a bid to aid its tied to death recovery, which is kind of an oxymoron. You can't really recover when you're tied to death. So it makes his question even more valid. Is there, uh, are there any similarities between the Chinese economy as we see it today and Japan's lost decade? Let me give you background. Japan in the late 70s and through the 80s really came into its own. Um, kind of rewind even farther, you go back into the 1920s through the 1940s, and Japan was becoming a superpower. 
But they were doing it in a very aggressive fashion, in a very, uh, we're going to take that because we want it fashion rather than in a, um, we'll uh, trade you for it fashion. And in the process, there was a war. Almost the entire planet got its teeth kicked in in that war. The manufacturing capability of the world went backwards by decades because we kept blowing up each other's factories. Now, the United States was mostly kept whole. There weren't a lot of people that could fly airplanes that far across an ocean to bomb our factories. So due to location, 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 our factories were okay. The rest of the world's were not. It took a good 30 years for the Japanese to come back up to their manufacturing capacity pre-war and then modernize it. And then they started, or started, I shouldn't say started, continued making very high quality products. So even their cheap stuff was high quality. And so they came ahead and they were exporting a lot of stuff. Lots and lots of cars, lots and lots of knives, all kinds of things. In the process, a lot of money flowed into Japan. People didn't really know what to do with it. So they did what most people do when a lot of money flows into a system. They bought real estate with it. And they bought a lot of real estate with it. They bought real estate all over the world. They bought real estate all over Japan. And they did this with loans from banks that thought that the money was just going to keep flowing in at this exponentially growing fashion. But eventually, Japan's exports plateaued. They didn't find more countries out there to buy their cars. At the time, Vietnam was not buying cars. Uh, Mexico was not buying cars. They saturated the market for what they could do in the market. And the banks continued to give more and more and more loans on real estate. And it made it look like their economy was still booming for several years after it really hadn't. It has stopped booming. That's sort of what's happening in China right now. So John's question on is there, are there any similarities? Yes, massive ones. Uh, Japan's lost decade came because the government of Japan in a very traditional format didn't allow any banks to fail, but also didn't allow them to write off their bad debts. A lot of people had loans they weren't paying on. A lot of people weren't paying on their loans and the banks weren't getting paid on the loans. So that would normally be, hey, you're losing money hand over fist. You either have to say that that loan's not going to get paid and just take it as a loss or you have to say that I'm bankrupt. Well, in Japan, they didn't do that. Uh, we called them zombie banks for a long time because they really couldn't give loans. The interest rates were stuck right at zero and they couldn't give any loans because they didn't have any money to give loans with because it was all loaned out to people that weren't paying loans from two decades before. So it took a long time for, for Japan to recover from that. And a lot of the banks were not considered state banks. But in a fashion, you could consider them state banks because they were owned by families that are traditional nobility of Japan. And the government didn't want them to fail because the government still has a lot of links to the traditional nobility of Japan. So there's a different culture there. It's a similar culture to state banks in China, though. So are there similarities? Similarities, yes. And it is something people have been talking about growing as a problem for the last decade. Do you want to take the subject from here? I have kind of well, filled out all that I needed to say on it. I can see where it could come to that, but the internal causes are quite different. Yes, uh, I agree with Japan, that. Japan massively overexpanded during its growth phase, bought properties in the United States, which 
Japanese companies and individuals did, which they later sold at a, at a huge loss. Um, they just oversurged. They they did a classic economic uh, overreaching. However, in China, the reason for their slowdown is very, very different. Um, I, I think a lot of people would love to do business with China except for two things. Right. One, they have proven themselves to be unreliable. The dictator, I, well, wait a minute, he doesn't like to be called a dictator. He's not a the dictator. Chairman, the chairman, the president, and the person who has absolute authority for life is not a dictator. For, for life. life, but it but is not a dictator. Whose words, when dictated, produce laws? But he is not a dictator. We should call him an emperor. Imperator. He is. I don't know if you know this, but recently he's been making speeches comparing, aligning his reign with that of the emperors that went before the revolution, and saying it's this is just a different dynasty. Anyway, uh, they have they're in trouble for two major reasons and a third one on top of that the primary reason is they they have proven themselves to be unreliable the secondary reason is uh as the japanese did during world war ii they have set themselves against their customers they have basically taken the position of we are planning to go to war here and yet we want you to build your factories here that uh will not be able to produce for you when we go to war because our all all commerce between China and the Western world will cease if China decides to go to war and, and take Taiwan back. The risk levels are just too high. Uh, I mean, if we get something, Mexico may not be the most pleasant place. And I don't know how what kind of quality work or India or someplace else, but there's very little chance that India is going to go to war with the United States, declared or undeclared. There's very little chance that India's dictator because they don't have one uh is going to say everybody stays home for two years and nobody can manufacture anything or lock people in their factories so we one of the things i think people don't appreciate maybe they do i don't know the united states corporations have literally huge by any definition quantities of money tied up in creating facilities to manufacture things in china and it's bad enough that they're doing everything they can, Apple and everybody else who was previously dependent upon Chinese manufacture to hold their prices down and to, ma- and, and to even reach the volume that is needed. We don't have the capacity in the United States to make what we need to make that people want to buy. It's just not there. We have largely transitioned out of manufacturing. We have well-educated people who like to work in air-conditioned offices and which is good because they're they they're more productive economically than in, in that office and they would be on an assembly line not to mention the fact that automation is eventually going to take over those assembly lines those assembly lines but china has made itself through chairman xi chairman president emperor dictator xi uh, a bad business partner and this is only going to get worse and when you combine that with the fact that china's population is now actually shrinking and it is aging at a high rate of speed. China is moribund is a good word. By the way, yeah. my understanding of moribund, mm-hmm. more is is death. Yeah, more. bund is bound and bound in the sense of going there direction on yeah. the way on the way to death. Yeah, that comes from the same term. When you yeah. what what they would say is I'm when you they would say where are you going? They would say I'm tied to my destination. I'm bound there. So it's like right. being tied together. But but it also has the the meaning directional of headed headed towards death. Yeah, uh, and moribund may be an appropriate name for the Chinese economy. It's going to take a while. 
they're still growing strong. They're they're expected to grow five percent this year. Now, when you get five percent growth in China, uh, economic growth in China, that five percent sounds great, except that they've been doing d- double digits for decades. Five is the lowest they've had in many, minute. many, many years. That sounds like and a great marketing slogan. Tight to double digits for decades. Well, yeah. true. It was for a while. But they uh, they are hurting right now. Well, just as Europe and the United States are fighting inflation and trying to get their economies to slow down, China is cutting rates and trying to get their economy to speed up because it's not. And there's a good reason for it. Yeah, They were transitioning to a consumer-based economy like we have because it's more stable and they want to do that. But the actions during COVID have caused people to stop spending because they, many people, I mean, if you're staying home in your apartment and you can't go to work, you can't make money. So you can't really consume stuff. In fact, a lot of people have cut way back on what they were buying. And, and people are scared that that could happen again. Another play, another something could break out. I think, by the way, this is on a slightly different subject, but it parallels. I think that if today we had COVID, something like COVID hit, I don't think we would do the big lockdowns that we did. I think we would remain more open uh, and manage it far better uh, because there has been such negative analysis of what happened. Now, we do some of it, but for instance, the, the big problem is that School children across the country lost, effectively, the majority of them lost one full year of education, but they moved on to the next grade anyway. And that is really hurting. Uh, Interestingly enough, this is something, I don't know if you're aware of this, Catholic schools and charter schools were not strongly affected because they generally resumed their school attendance much faster than public schools. So it's, it's an interesting parallel there. Uh, and it, it's going to be hard. We, we have a whole generation of students who missed a year. And in some cases, in the, in the late elementary years, for example, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, and in that time frame, missing a year is really hard to make that up, ever make yeah. that up yeah. without basically putting everybody back a year. Yeah. And that's, that's the same thing you can say about manufacturing. Missing a year means that you know, this is, let me kind of rewind a second. When you have a factory, think, imagine a big factory floor, just a big warehouse full of nothing. It's empty. It's the air and space museum, only there's no artifacts. It's just really literally air and space. Okay. You're looking around <laughs> the big warehouse. And it's air and space. And it's air and space. And you say, I'm going to make a thing. It doesn't matter what the thing is, whether it's a smartwatch, a smartphone, a a plastic gadget. If you're going to make enough of them, and if they're complicated, you have to buy machines to make the pieces to make the pieces. And those machines have to be laid out. And if you're making something that you're trying to keep up with your competitors on, and that means that you need to have a new model every year, which means you either have to retool which means either buy more machines that do a different thing or somehow teach through software or hardware how to make your existing machines do a new thing. So retooling is an ongoing process unless you're making something like a knife. If you're making a plastic toy, that's great, but there's not a lot of margin in plastic toys because anybody can do them and you don't have to retool and you're going to compete with somebody that bought their tool 40 years ago and it's just as efficient as yours. In the high profit areas, the things that lead to high growth in an economy or in a company, those complicated products that you're in direct competition with other people in, you've got to retool on those sometimes multiple times in a year. And the Chinese are behind on that now. 
And a lot of the people that were giving them money to retool so they could make stuff for them aren't giving them money to do that anymore. They've set up a, a new tool facility somewhere else, or they're in the process of doing it. So they're just saying, no, you just keep making the product you made two years ago. That's what you've been doing for two years. Just keep doing that, and your orders are going to drop. And what we're seeing in the manufacturing sector of China is for the past three months, their manufacturing sector has been shrinking. And it's not been shrinking really, really fast, but it's in line with what everybody's announcing, that they're moving their manufacturing to other places. So the back to that original question from John, and this is going to be a long segment on that subject because it's interesting. The Japanese didn't become unreliable as a trading partner. If anything, they became more reliable during that time period. They honored their rules and their laws and their promises more, and their quality became higher. It also became more expensive. China is becoming more expensive, but it's honoring its rules and its laws and its promises less at the corporate level all the way up to the governmental level, which is causing people to not want to manufacture there. The similarity between Japan and China at this point is there was this massive influx of money, and a big chunk of that money was invested in real estate that really didn't have any capability of producing more stuff. So China's economy, and I've seen different numbers on this, is anywhere from 20 to 40% wrapped up in its real estate market. 20 to 40% of its growth every year is its real estate, not its exports, not what's going on in the rest of the world. And that looks very similar to Japan right before it had a decade of moving backward and staggering slowly forward. Uh, so the similarities are very real in that they're doing the same thing with the excess money. And this is something that happens everywhere. In the United States, uh, it's happened dozens of times. When a given area gets an influx of money, it doesn't matter if it's Houston that's just discovered oil or if it's the Louisiana Purchase or and people settling out there. If a bunch of money comes to a given location all at once, you it's going to cause a real estate bubble. And when it's focused on the whole country, and it's kind of as a fire hose blast of money coming in, then you get the bubble all across the country. We had that in the uh, global financial crisis, the Great Recession. We had our own version of that. It was caused from different things, but... We had a bunch of money available and we had land that was purchasable in a different way. So we caused a real estate bubble. One of the most consistent bubble bust cycles in finance is the real estate market. <laughs> people think, you know, as soon as you hear people say uh, real estate's safe, it only ever goes up. Those are death knell songs. That's the moribund thing for the real estate market. And you, I heard that at high rapidity from lots of people over the last three years or so of, hey, we can always tap into real estate to get this to work. And I have to remind people, real estate goes down too. And then I hear them say, well, what's the chance of it going down at the same time as the stock market? Um, about 90%. <laughs> That's usually how it works. Because uh, it, it would be nice if we could say there's a good, you know, you can offset the risk of the stock market by getting in the real estate market. But no, Murphy's Law is in effect, and Murphy owns real estate too, sadly. Sometimes you get downturns in the stock market that don't downturn in the real estate market and vice versa, but 
usually they're tied together. And yep. when, when we look at China, they're getting more and more tied together. So it's like moribund and real estate bund uh, connection there. And by the way, mortgages come from exactly this term. Uh, and the, the gauge of death, mort gauge, is a mortgage. And that's 30 years if you don't repair the house at all. And we look at the Chinese economy, their mortgage is coming closer and closer to being due, and they haven't been doing what they need to do to keep up the property. So there. How many, uh, how many metaphors did I mix in there? We need a few more, I think. A plethora. I need, easily, a pl- at least, easily at least a plethora. We need to mix well, maybe a, even a plethora a, plus. Right. Let's, let's use a metaphor of the mixing bowl mixing in all of the metaphors so not only have i mixed my metaphors i've mixed my metaphors in a metaphor there you go but i have been monopolizing the last half hour or so off and on so why don't you take over a little bit i like your monopolizing it sounds pretty cool to me i don't even wear a monocle so i do have a curly mustache i don't i do have a top hat I need to get a monocle, and then I can monopolize better. Let me talk about what people, some people have indicated they're worried about, and that's commercial real estate. Yeah. Uh, we routinely maintain investments in commercial real estate stocks, and um, it goes through cycles up and down. And there's a tendency at this point to bail out of commercial real estate because one aspect of commercial real estate is significantly going through some pain, uh, and that is the office buildings in large cities. Uh, and there's a, there's a big, I'm keep waiting for the shoe to drop on that one. Uh, banks are preparing themselves for it by selling good loans to other folks so they can build up some cash reserves. Uh, incidentally, uh, as a side note to this, the federal reserve went through, uh, and hit the major banks in the United States with a simulation a stress test yeah. and they all passed. Not uh, only passed, this- but passed really well. Yeah. And, and basically if there was a severe worldwide recession, uh, then the banks across the United States, large banks, none of them are in danger of failing. So that's a good sign. The, 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 median, the median-sized banks, the medium-sized banks are in less good condition because that's uh, the ones that recently have gotten in trouble. But they, uh, they're working really, really hard to get out of that trap of owning high-interest bonds or owning low-interest bonds that as interest rates go up, decay in their portfolio value. They're basically selling things off in many cases at a loss, which is going to hurt their share value probably. But coming over to commercial real estate, there is a whammy coming there, and that is that is generally accepted at this point. Uh, San Francisco is the poster child for large commercial real estate buildings that previously were full of uh, office workers being empty, and nobody wants to buy them. Part of that is because, uh, what was it, uh, Elon Musk said that uh, downtown San Francisco looks like a post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, because it's being abandoned, it's collapsing in on itself, and there's some a lot of good social reasons that's going on. Not the least of which is the California legislature made um, stealing something less than a thousand dollars essentially not a crime. So you can steal all the stuff at a thousand dollars or below you want to, and you don't get arrested and you don't go to jail. I really am utterly beyond my comprehension why they would do that, but that's what they did. Um, and so crime is mushroomed. And meanwhile, California is saying our crime hasn't mushroomed. Look at the crime reporting. Their crime reporting indicates low rates of crime. Well, they're not arresting people for a lot of crimes. Therefore, they have low crimes. That 
is a bad way of approaching it. But in cities across the country, there is less and less tendency to go to a major office building and rent office space. Now, why isn't it hit already? Why haven't we seen a big impact? Because there's leases that corporations have on chunks, floors, and rooms, and office suites in these buildings. And we won't see the real impact of what's happening until those leases start to run out, which will be in the next couple of years. And in the cases- and they don't renew them. Right. And in the cases where a company actually owns the property, it's owned usually with a some form of loan. And yeah, those and loans so, will come as a balloon note sometime in the near future, just like a lease renewing. Just like I'm familiar, I happen to be familiar in San Francisco with the uh, Transamerica Corporation. And they there's a Transamerica building that looks like a very, very steep pyramid downtown that's that's sort of their landmark. They don't own that building anymore. They basically sold the building many years ago and now lease offices in the building for their offices that are there. The problem is going to hit and it's going to be hard, but that's not everything. The United States economy, as we've been talking about earlier in this program, is still growing and it is still wanting more buildings to grow into as things grow in the United States economy. So commercial real estate is not a single thing. It is a lot of things. And this is one of those situations during when interest rates go up, commercial real estate and real estate in general generally hurts. We've seen that happen. Uh, it's this year, for example, uh, home prices are down about 15% in Austin, according to the the Realtors Association. And we're seeing for the first time since 2012, the price of houses decline. Well, this happens when interest rates go up, but there are aspects of the economy that are still growing quite fast. And in those aspects of the economy, real estate is still good. Now, how do you discriminate between the two? You just have to be kind of picky. This is one of those situations where the entire industry, if you average it all together, is probably going to be in some pain, but there's going to be elements in the industry who aren't. And so you, this is where you have to be selective and careful and find good management for your money. And that's an important thing to recognize. I bring this up because people have asked me about it. Um, let's see what else we've got. What else we got going on out there? Oh, let's see here. Um, one of the things yeah, I, that popped up that I think is worth ha- spending a few minutes on. We're, we talked about this a bit. The service side of the economy is really tight. What does that mean? Well, if you're talking about inflation, where are the spots that we've seen the greatest inflation over the past five years? Wait a minute, Jake, why are you talking five years? The inflation started in the pandemic, right? No. If you wanted to get a plumber or an electrician to come to your house and do something, come to your business and do something, roof work, construction of any kind, there are few people doing that for the demand that we have. Wall Street Journal has a front page article about why it's hard to get your car fixed this summer. We don't have enough equipment and we don't have enough people. We need more mechanics. We need more electricians. We need more plumbers. We need more skilled trade labor because that's been disappearing and we still need more. We've been directing kids to go to college instead of going to trade school. And I've touched on this in the past where like a a, a septic truck driver can make $200,000 a year. That's that's really impressive. You don't think driving poo around would be that expensive, except that people don't want to do it. So it's become more and more and more of a lucrative enterprise. And, you know, I wouldn't mind my son or daughter working as a septic truck driver if they're making $200,000 a year. Uh, that, that's just 
phenomenal. And the amount of training and so on that goes into it's important. Why is it that we're paying $200,000 a year for it? Because we can't find people who want to do it. Yep. People want to work in air conditioning. They want to go work at a tech company. They don't want to be pulling wires through conduit all day long in the hot sun, but they can make a lot of money doing it. Continuing on what I was saying just a minute ago, according to the Wall Street Journal report that was out yesterday, I think, builders, architects, engineers, real estate agents, vehicle manufacturers, and other businesses typically sensitive to higher borrowing costs have increased employment during the open months in the opening months of 2023. Because we still just haven't had enough of them. Even though it's more expensive to do what they're doing, we still right. don't have enough of them. That's why I say this, any, any threat to the real estate side of investing is going to be narrow because we're building, we're, we're starting buildings all over the United States. Construction is cranking up and they're trying to find enough workers to do it. Um, we have got way more job openings in the United States than we have people to fill them right now. And traditionally, so this, is, this is the time when we have some inno innovative technology step in. Um, if we don't have enough workers to do something, eventually somebody's going to have a light bulb over their head and go, bing, it's probably an LED light bulb these days instead of incandescent, but it's still a light bulb. They got an idea. They figured out how to do it better with fewer. And we're going to see more of that, but it's an uphill battle. And it's going to cause prices to be steep in real estate and elsewhere, even in this downturn. Uh, Case Schiller just said we've had a drop of a very small amount in home prices year over year. And in Texas, in Austin, it was much worse, but we still don't have enough houses. So it can't, can't drop as far as it did in the global financial crisis because we had way too many houses then. And that's something we can measure. We're almost out of time for this hour. There's more to talk about on that subject, but we have a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about. What are some subjects that you have in the works? Well, I want to talk more about what's going on in the economy, the GDP, and the health of the economy, and why it has remained so healthy. Right. I'm, I, both of us have kind of same subject there. I mean, there's articles in the Wall Street Journal about why is it hard to find mechanics for your car, uh, headline, America's hot labor market fuels job growth in unexpected places. Those are, those are signs of really good growth, and we'll talk about that, but it's also a sign of possible inflation to come, which probably means we're getting another uh, interest rate increase in July. We'll talk more about that next hour. Um, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we do give in, uh, individualized investment advice at the fiduciary level and portfolio management for people of relatively high net worth. You can contact us and get voicemail during the weekends, real live people during the week locally at 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can read our newsletter. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can listen to our radio program going back lots of years. Listen to podcasts wherever you find them. Email us directly or through the contact form. Our email addresses are jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. Have a great weekend.